0: You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV.
1: Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Cohen Codewade, and my guest today is Katie Herzog. Uh, Katie, could you introduce yourself?
0: I'm Katie Herzog. Um, I am the host, the co-host, the, the, I would say the number one host of the podcast Blocked and Reported uh with Jesse Single. Uh, and I am a former staff writer at The Stranger, Seattle's All Weekly, and I suppose those are my main identifiers. I am the also, I guess, the, the proud mother of a golden doodle who looks just like me.
1: <laughs> um, well, thank you for coming uh, back on. Uh, back on sure. Blogging as a back on Culturally Determined Um and, uh, so, so, so you and Jesse Single, um, have launched this podcast. Uh, you must have launched it right after the pandemic started, more or less, right?
0: Yeah. We launched it right after I got, I got, so I got furloughed from the stranger at first. Um, I took a, I, the stranger, like everywhere else was having a major crisis after the, after the pandemic started because like, you know, all weeklies all over the, all over the country, finances were already tight right. and most of our revenue came from events and restaurants and pot, pot shops and, um, you know, things that require people to be able to leave their homes. So, um, my, my boss was sending out sort of increasingly desperate emails about, um, how we needed to do fundraisers and like how shit was going to get bad. And so I volunteered to take a furlough thinking at the time that it was a totally empty gesture and then like 4 hours later he called me and he said um thank you. So I took a furlough and then a we'll uh, date this is not Dan Savage. This was Tim Keck, who was okay. the founder of the paper, and also, int- incidentally, the founder of the Onion, um, which he sold for ten thousand uh, oh. dollars pretty soon after it shorted, yeah, uh, started. Yeah, started. <laughs> yeah, not the best, not the best business move in history. Um, and then shortly after that, um, most of the entire staff got laid off. So uh, the paper is still limping along um, in a digital-only state. But I am no longer part of it.
1: Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so I actually I had I, I did an episode with Jesse, like like. Week two of lockdown or something, and I remember he was, I think you had just been furloughed, and then <laughs> I think he was talking about, you guys were thinking of uh, putting something together. Uh, but it's had, it had a, like a, a meteoric rise, I would say, uh, over the past, however, 10 or 12 weeks. Um, and you guys set up a Patreon and do, do like bonus episodes, and, uh, you seem to be uh, doing very well. Uh, but that's, that's not the main reason, uh, we are here today. Um, <laughs> the main reason is, um, well, our, our original topic is, uh, the Harper's Open Letter, which you were one of the signatories of about 150 people. Um, but two of the other signatories of that letter, uh, just today, we are recording this on Tuesday, um, announced that they are leaving their positions. Uh, Actually,
0: I don't think that... Only, I think only one of them was a signatory.
1: Oh, Sullivan wasn't a...
0: No, which was a... a I noticed. I, I noticed that he was not. He sort of would assume that he would have been. Okay, I don't... I I don't know what that's about, um, but he was not on the letter. Okay, that's
1: interesting. I, I guess I, yeah, I guess I had like, that's like a, um, false memory I had I'm seeing his name on there. Okay. But the main, the main person is, uh, Barry Weiss, uh, controversial, uh, opinion editor and writer at the New York Times, uh, resigned in a pretty, um, uh, public way, uh, posting a letter, like, another open letter, I guess, but addressed to, uh, A.G. Salzberger, but, uh, laying out her, um, grievances and saying why she was leaving and we can, we can link to that below and probably people know who she is. I mean, she's really, um, I was joking on Twitter. She's really like, a, like sort of a master of public relations and getting herself in the public eye. And I mean, how many other editors, like opinion editors in the New York Times does the average, you know, uh, reader know who it is and know what they look like and know and have some very strong opinion about them? Um, so she's, she's kind of done it once again. And, um, so what did, what did you think when you, uh, when you heard that?
0: I was not particularly surprised that Barry resigned um, when James Bennett stepped down in the aftermath of the now infamous Tom Cotton uh, opinion piece. I thought Barry's going to be next and Brad Stevens is going to be next. And uh-huh. I, I don't have any insider knowledge. I haven't talked to either of them about this, um, but I was not entirely surprised. I was uh, also not surprised to see Andrew is stepping down um, from his job at, at New York Media. Um, that seems... Pretty inevitable, especially now that, that New York Mag has been, or not New York Media, New York Mag, um, New York Mag has been bought by Vox. Um, right. it seems like probably a, a, a cultural clash there that was not going to last. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so there, there was immediate speculation, uh, on Twitter that where people love speculating with no evidence that, you know, two prominent people leave their posts on the same day, they're going to some, New place, um, right? And I know I have no evidence of that. They haven't announced that. Seems possible. Who knows? But um, you know, or you know, in this in this world with with Patreon, you can really just like hang your own shingle and, and do your own thing. Um, I mean, so what, what did you think of the of the letter of the of, the, of the, her resignation letter?
0: Uh, I thought it was bold. I thought posting it was very bold. There was a lot of it that I recognized from my own experience working in a place where you are sort of seen as the outsider. Um, you know, the the place that Barry occupies in the media, I, I find it strange. I mean, when she tweets, when she writes, there is often a firestorm immediately yeah. And I'm not sure that's because of what she actually writes, lots of which is just sort of center left, maybe center right, or it's because who she is. Um I, I'm I'm curious about this. Why Barry? You know, why is Barry the person who who is, I will say, like I, I know Barry a little bit. We're friendly. She's extremely generous. Um, she's a mensch, and you'll hear this over and over again by people who are friends with her. Um and so it's strange that she has become the sort of villain on Twitter. When I, like I would like to know what the worst thing that Barry has done is, the worst thing she's written, and of course, worse is, is a subjective term. But I'm curious about if somebody could point out like all of Barry's sins. Um, I'm guessing that they're going to seem a little bit uh, smaller than the than the the hype around her would suggest.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like I said, her kind of ability to generate controversy in, in, in the attention economy is in some ways an asset. Um, right. You know, I mean, I don't, say, I don't think
0: that's... Yeah, I, I will say, I don't think that's entirely something that she's created or crafted herself. I, I don't think... I mean, the first... I first heard about Barry when she wrote a piece after the Aziz Ansari Me Too incident. And I'd never read her work before. And uh, she wrote a piece that was called like... I can't remember what it was called, but she it, it was something about how there's like a, how this this claim against disease on sorry was a bad date. And that piece seems to be the one that sort of set her apart from most of her particularly sort of progressive feminist colleagues at The Times. Um, and it was a column that I frankly agreed with. Um so I've always sort of liked her. I don't agree with her and everything. Uh-huh. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I'm curious about this. Why Barry? Um, Andrew, I think makes a little bit more sense because Andrew, uh, is a little bit more controversial, genuinely more controversial than I think, than I think Barry is. Um, and I, once again, like there's, like she writes lots of stuff that I, that I don't totally agree with, but I also would not ever consider her a monster, which many people on Twitter and in the media seem to. Yeah.
1: I think, I mean, there's, maybe there's some of the, um, what is the what is it the narcissism of small differences or you know yeah. it, it's like yeah. like if she presented herself as you know like Heather McDonald presents herself right then people wouldn't be like oh here's this you know thirty year old uh, Jewish lesbian or bisexual bisexual woman uh, mm-hmm. you know who is pushing all of our buttons they'd be like oh here's another conservative you know doing the the conservative thing so I think that's part of it um, yeah I, like I, I do yeah she she has a talent. I mean she had a tell for making media, Twitter, and thus a lot of other parts of Twitter go insane. Um, and sometimes I mean, I think she wrote some shitty columns. I can't you know her I, what the worst thing she wrote, I can't immediately put my finger on it. I mean, she's an ardent Zionist, and um, yeah and that pisses a lot of people off. Um, Yeah,
0: And and that's that's where I disagree with her most. Um, And I also I think that she has a hyper focus on anti-Semitism and she might see it in places where it doesn't exist. But you could also say that about lots of people in media about whatever their particular identity is. There's
1: one when we talk in our next segment, there's one particular instance of that that I want to mention um, about the open letter, but. But yeah, so, um, and, you know, Sullivan, um, is interesting. I mean, he's obviously been around, uh, r- writing in public for close to 40 years, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he was just on, Longhead's well, like um uh, sister statement of, Life mm-hmm. TV with Bob Wright, um, who, you know, and Bob knew him from when Andrew was the Wonderkind editor of uh, the New Republic in, in the late 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, he's had some, you know, he, he's a contrarian. He changes, he, he, he changes his beliefs very quickly. He was, like, a super supporter of the Iraq War, and then within, like, a month of the invasion, he had like turned on it completely and was a crusader against the Iraq War. So he's, you know, he's like a a, a moralist and uh, holds very strong opinions. I thought I used to be a uh, committed reader of his blog. I mean, his blog was kind of like Twitter before Twitter existed, and mm-hmm. I used to reload it, you know, five or ten times a day to see what the latest stuff was right. because there wasn't really another way to get that. And he was really great at it. And yeah. um, I think the thing that was best was it was like a it was like a magazine. It wasn't a personal blog. Uh, he. He would write something, and then he would publish the readers' the reader emails calling him a moron, and re- and respond to it. And so it really was kind of like a conversation. He would just find good links, but actually, you know, it it wasn't really him doing the entire thing. he had staff, including Phoebe Maltsbobi, was an intern mm-hmm. uh, there um, early in her career. So yeah, so he was really so he was like one of the original political bloggers and a master of the the form. And then when he when he stopped his blog, um. You know he was gone for a couple years, and then took up this thing at New York Magazine, where he was he would write. I think almost consistent, consistently, it was always he would write basically three long blog posts that were posted as one piece, mm-hmm. and they would like appear on Friday. And I thought yeah. this did not work for his it, strengths.
0: It's I, a weird model, the like three in one thing. Just from like a usability perspective, the three in one. I. Like, just have three different columns. Yeah, it's not, it's not optimized
1: for social. And I'm sure he, I mean, he must have fought for it because I'm sure there are people in New York Magazine saying, you know, if we make this three things, then we'll get three times as many hits.
0: I Um, mean, maybe he just wanted one deadline a week. Um, which, you know, okay. I mean, as a writer, that sounds much better than three deadlines a week.
1: Yeah. So it was almost like he was a master of the previous era of online media, the blog era, and then was overtaken by this new, more hellish era. Which is like right. the, tw- the social media Twitter era, um, yeah. and you know this website is is it was invented right in the heart of the, that previous era, and still in some way in some ways like embodies some of the virtues I hope of of that era. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I I think he was ill sor- ill served by that form, and I would read him sometimes, but after a while it just I, he just felt like um, cranky Uncle Andrew, you know, complaining about the social justice warriors that he's always complaining about, and, and maybe he did write maybe the third little essay was good, but why would I scroll all the way down? when I have so much other shit that I could be consuming right now. So I hope, I mean, I, I think he's a talented guy, obviously controversial in various ways. Um, and I hope he finds some a way that can, you know, take his talents in a better direction. I think he would write like one or two big feature pieces for the magazine per year. And those were often very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so He's maybe, a great
0: writer. He's... Yeah.
1: So maybe his, his talent yeah. lies in, like in both in the, the micro and like the macro or something, but he, he's not yeah. as good at the in-between or something.
0: It definitely, um, his talent is definitely not on social media.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so, well, Andrew and, and Barry, uh, we wish them well. If they want to come on, culturally determined, invitation is extended. I actually read Barry's book, um, mm-hmm. which I think is called How to Fight Anti-Semitism, uh, that her publicist said to me, anticipating that she would come on, and then it kind of uh, never happened because she seemed too busy, or maybe they figured out that it wouldn't be like a super friendly interview. Uh, or, or something, but, but, but Barry, the, uh, you know, invitation is, is still open. Um, oh, and I guess just the other thing I want to say is, I mean, the things in her, she, the stuff that she describes in her resignation letter, there's some stuff that seems like, you know, she, like, she, she should have or she did go to human resources. And like, this, this is a serious problem, like people putting axe emojis next to her name in Slack or comparing her to a Nazi in, like, internal communications. Like, these are bad things. And if, if true, seems like I am
0: sure that they are true. I mean, do you remember when the Huffington Post someone leaked uh what was it? It was someone leaked a Slack channel of, or a Slack conversation about Barry after it might have been after she made a like she made that infamous tweet about, I can't remember the woman's name, uh, the figure skater during the Olympics. And she erroneously referred to her as an immigrant and sort of a riff on a Hamilton line. Yes. Um, So just reading that, and that was several years ago, I imagine shit has gotten way worse for Barry and just like, I don't know. It's, it is like having talked to people like Barry and Andrew about what's and people all over the media landscape. Some of whom are quite famous, but sort of aren't out as, uh, as problematic, I would say, about what's going on in their workplaces. It is not at all hard for me to imagine that people are extremely nasty to Barry on Slack. It's like, they're nasty to her on Twitter, they're gonna be nastier to her on Slack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it is, it
1: sounds, uh, it sounds fucked up what was happening to her in the sort of employee sense. And, but then there's also this irony that it's kind of like, like, she's the victim of bullying and, you know, the whole, like, like, I don't know if she is a, like, safe space, you know, uh, precious snowflake type of person, like, critiquing that kind of stuff. But it is like, you know, she needed a safe space up in New York Times or something and 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 didn't get it. And so, like, it, it seems like she was, you know, bullied in some way if people are ganging up at her in All an right, internal uh, channel.
0: I want to s- say something about this. I think there's a big difference between, let's say, uh, the sort of safetyism that people like Jonathan Haidt talk about on campuses, um, where people are – they want to be shielded from ideas that might be challenging and direct harassment of you as a, as a person. I just – I think there's a really big difference from that. I think there's a difference between um, – between ideas, between uncomfortable political speech and somebody calling you a Nazi, a colleague calling you a Nazi, that to me crosses the line into bullying. And so, from, I, like, I can see why some people might call that hypocrisy, but I just think there's a, there's a real difference between someone who, who is a, you know, doesn't want to read Huck Finn because it uses the N word and somebody who is opposed to being called a Nazi by their colleagues and publicly available or searchable channels, um, internal ones or external. Um, yeah.
1: And so it seems like, I mean, it seems like she, you know, there's like some sort of possible lawsuit that that, it, that could be launched. You know, though I doubt that would actually happen.
0: But, yeah, um, I, I kind of doubt that, but we'll see.
1: Or, you know, she could have been given like a like some kind of severance or something, to, like in exchange for for just leaving and and like ending the you know ending the entire issue. Right. Um, okay, I think that's all I have on, on Barry. Okay, so you, uh, so you're one of the signatories of this letter, which was published in Harper's, and the official title is a letter on justice and open debate. Um, can you talk about? kind of how you came to be a signatory on this letter?
0: Sure. Uh, It was pretty simple. I got an email from somebody. um, It might have been Emily Yaffe, and they just sent me the the draft of it. I agreed to sign it, and then they asked me um, how I would like to be introduced. What I actually said was that I would like to be called the host of Blocked and Reported. What they ended up putting in the letter was podcast host. So I was the only one of this, like, illustrious group of people who had the words fucking podcast host, um, which I really wanted to use it as a way of advertising my podcast. So that was my disappointment with the, with the, pod- <laughs> with the letter is that they didn't mention the name of my show.
1: Okay, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, um, and yeah, and then they put Jesse, so Jesse Single, your co-host, um, was on there as well, and I think they they like listed him as New York Magazine or something. But he's not, you know, he's not officially at New York Magazine anymore. That's why I'm tweeting about that. Okay, so yeah. when you um, did you just read it and say yeah, thumbs up, let's go, or did you did you have any uh, did you uh, dwell on it, it <laughs> or meditate on it or, or, or what?
0: I I did dwell on it for a little bit, and the reason I dwelled on it is because. I have made it a point to sort of uh, distance myself from any sort of movement. I'm not a letter signer. Um, I typically don't sign petitions. I mean, maybe I would if somebody like was like standing in front of my grocery store asking for a petition to like save the whales or something like that. But for the most part, I try to keep my distance from movements and from activism because after years of working in media, including in at a progressive uh, climate change environmental site, I have. And this, what I'm about to say, is not a reflection of, of my coworkers or my former workplace. Um, but I I find that activism, the act of engaging in activism, of making your own identity sort of, or making activism tantamount or paramount to your own identity, makes it really a var- a hard to evaluate whatever you're fighting for, whatever the cause is on its merits. Um, so for that reason, I don't consider myself a feminist anymore. Or an environmentalist, or anything like that, um, and I think labels also are destructive and 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 uh, make this tribalism that we're experiencing much worse. So my hesitation wasn't really about the content of the letter; it was just, do I want to be a part of something? Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, I decided that this was worth sort of suspending my my rule. Okay, so
1: um, so I, probably most people have heard of it at this point. We'll include the link to it. So a number of it was almost like. It somehow sort of seemed almost more important, like, the people who signed it in, in, in the reaction than the actual content of the letter. So, a number of luminaries, uh, signed it, including, you know. Katie
0: Herzog, Jesse Single. Yes,
1: those, those two. So, two, um, so, the Feminine Chaos hosts, some belonging heads. Kat yeah. Rosefield, Phoebe Ball, Spoby both signed it. Um, yeah. and also John McWhorter, uh, who appears very often on the site, signed it. And then, uh, you know, Margaret Atwood signed it. Uh, Noam Chomsky signed it. Uh, Stephen Pinker, and Gloria Steinem, or, yeah, yeah, Gloria Steinem, um, uh, and J.K. Rowling, perhaps most very controversially, and and Barry Weiss signed it as well, along with people, you know, some people I guess are academics or writers I were I wasn't familiar with, but there's a number of prominent names on it, and so okay, so yeah, it kind of became like, um, I don't know, they, they, I mean, this is really sort of the <laughs> maybe people were just tired of the whole Black Lives Matter. Thing and talking about it, and this gave us something else to talk about, and that's why I blew up so big. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a weird, cynical thing to say, but yeah. it makes sense to me. Well,
0: it's also a media story, you know, like a the media. I think a lot of us are at heart sort of sort of narcissists. and so this sort of this really played into this this sort of us versus them. I think I think some of the criticism was from people who were pissed they hadn't been invited on to sign the letter. I do think that was a part of it, and also as you mentioned, there were these controversial figures. The fact that J.K. Rowling is the most controversial signing of the letter is hilarious. Will right. never stop being funny. Um, but I do think like even if so. A lot of the coverage has focused on J.K. Rowling and to a lesser extent, Jesse, and to a lesser extent, me, although I'm not generally mentioned in these like NPR pieces about it, which is fine by me. But because uh, Jesse and I have both written things that, and JK Rowling have both written things that other people have called transphobic. I would argue that nothing that any of us have written is actually transphobic. But this thing gets repeated. Jesse Single is a transphobe. JK Rowling is a transphobe. Katie Horsley is a transphobe. has just gotten repeated so often that people just believe it without doing their own research. So, so Jesse and I both, often we are called this. When you ask people, okay, please point to, point to the most transphobic thing I've ever written. Point to the most transphobic thing Jesse's ever written. There's no response because there's no transphobia. So that, as a criticism, also the letter was not about transphobia. It wasn't about trans people at all. So that was, that was annoying that other than, that instead of looking at the content of the letter, people focused on a few of the signatories. I'm curious about what would have happened if the three of us hadn't been on the letter because I think there would have been a similar outcry. They just would have focused on other people. So it could have been John McWhorter. It could have been a Coleman Hughes. It could have been Thomas Chatterton Williams. Um, these people who have been been more critical of of, um, of Black Lives Matter and of, of, of some some facets of, of, you know, black activism. Uh-huh. Um, so I think there was always going to be some sort of firestorm. It's just that the one that sort of took hold in the narrative was transphobia um this invisible transphobia that nobody can point to any evidence of it actually existing.
1: Yes. So yeah, I wonder if I mean, with all due respect to you and Jesse, I I think it's just if Rowling's name wasn't on there, it would have been somewhat different. She's she's like maybe yeah. half a level above you in terms of, you know, international maybe, renown. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, maybe a little bit.
1: But and for whatever reason has made this like her cause of the past um month or so. Um and so yeah, so that so that was strange, and then there was like you know how could you like how could this person Noam Chomsky, the you know grand great you know the beloved grandfather of the socialist left, or well, I don't, maybe he's a communist? I don't exactly know. Of, you know, of the left uh, sign a letter with these like hated, <laughs> hated, uh, despicable figures. I think that's all like, kind of silly. Who
0: say, yeah, the people who say that, I'm like, are you familiar with with Noam, Noam Chomsky's writings on free speech? This is like that. It just it, it's sort of ahistorical. Um. Yeah, the whole thing is ridiculous, and plus the fact that most of us didn't know who the signatories were in the first place. I mean, which is uh, not—they weren't trying to hide anything. It's it's just—it's a—it's a—it's an evolving document. Um. I think the three people who were mentioned when I when I was approached were um, Margaret Atwood, George Packer, and Thomas Chatterton Williams. I'm sure other people were mentioned when they approached. Uh, whoever else. Mm-hmm. Um and but you can't have a list of uh, with a, a a document that's constantly evolving, you can't have a list of like these are who we've approached, this is who has agreed, this is who has not. It's just that's ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Uh yeah, it's interesting that um yeah that uh hacker well I guess it's not that interesting that hackers on there. Um but so okay, so so yeah, so I I, I this I don't know why exactly this so the my my personal like you know kind of reaction to, to uh the letter was this is like the first thing in months that is like inspired by comedic comedic um uh spark on twitter and so i was just riffing on this constantly and i was uh fake outraged about not being asked to sign the letter and that was fake outraged about not being asked to sign the reply letter and I, I was like i want to do an open letter so that someone can like you know f- they'll be like get me on an open letter like yeah so i've i've just been riffing on the whole thing and you've so- been
0: outraged <laughs> <for a week laughs> well there's just something about
1: I don't know the the high moral dudgeon kind of aspect to it that lends that I think is you know, easy to like push a pin in to, to sure. pop it, but um, but I think one of the I mean so one of the criticisms that is more legitimate is that a lot of what it said was kind of like not vacuous but just like vague. Um, you know we all we all believe in open debate and probably do most, we well do that's we? A, well okay so that's a good question. Um, and then you know the um there there weren't. There weren't line-by-line, like, instances, denunciations. It was obvious what some things were referring to. The reply letter, like, went into, like, going after Jesse, like, with specifics or supposed specifics. Um, And, but just that, like, okay, the fact that, you know, people from somewhat across the ideological spectrum, from the, from Noam Chomsky to, um... You know, David uh, from
0: uh, yeah, from he, or Coleman yeah, Hughes or Pearl something. Bricks?
1: Yeah, uh, you know that all these figures could agree to this. It was kind of like okay, like if uh, le- the letter was for in support of like ice cream after school or something. we'll while we'll sided, even you know the mean kids in class want ice cream after school along with the uh, the good kids or something or something like that. So I, I think and so, but but that kind of the kind of vagueness I think gave a, an opening for people to read into it these various nefarious things. And mm-hmm. so there was uh, one. Uh, woman on Twitter who tweeted a, like, photoshopped version of it where she added in, like, every line, every clause had to do with trans issues. And, like, right. really the entire thing was, like, a dog whistle about about trans issues. And then, there's,
0: there's so many dog, like how are dogs not all deaf right now? There's a par- so apparently so many dog whistles going on. Like, you know, I read it to my dog and my dog didn't do anything. <laughs> my dog just looked at me.
1: And then, um, the, uh, the, uh, I, I don't know, how would you describe it? Uh, Max Blumenthal, you know, who's, who's kind of a left-wing uh, critic of American foreign policy was talking about how, you know, uh, so many people in the, in the letter were, uh, Zionists or you know, conservative supporters of the, American war effort and, uh, including people who tried to, uh, and I think he, his what was cancel certain countries because like they supported the Iraq war or, or right. something like that. Whereas Blumenthal was an anti-Zionist, actually does want to cancel a specific country, the country of Israel. No one right. seemed to uh, pick up on right. that besides me. But, um, but yeah, so, so there's, okay, do you think there's, do you think like the, the woman who tweeted this, who as far as I know is trans, uh, who, who saw like the entire thing as an anti-trans statement, do you think she's acting in good faith and that she actually does think this, or, or she's like just using it for her own purposes?
0: I don't know. I don't know her personally, and I'm, I'm not in her head. I try to believe... As a general rule, I believe that people say what they mean. I mean, they might be lying, they might be full of shit. I mean, clearly it's also opportunistic. Um, but... She she probably believes it. I mean, she probably believes that J.K. Rowling and Jesse and I are genuinely transphobic, and she is wrong about that. But I'm sure there is also nothing I could say or nothing she could read of our own work that would change her mind.
1: Um, okay, why? So, is it is it just that you know people who are in the fight for trans rights see a threat to trans rights everywhere? Is that part of it, or is it your the names of you Jesse and J.K. Rowling? Or yeah. or what? Or is this idea that like, oh, somehow we need like open debate or something is uh, it, it, that is a threat to the trans rights movement? Do you understand this at all?
0: I don't understand it at all because it, it, it comes from a false premise, which is that J.K. Rowling, Jetsy and I are all transphobic. So I don't like if we hadn't been on the list, I don't think that transphobia, I don't think people would have read these dog whistles for a letter that also the three of us were not involved in crafting at all. Um, or J.K. Rowling might have been involved in crafting. I highly doubt it. Um, but no, I don't think that. I, I I don't think they would have said. Oh, I don't think they would have transphobia. I don't think would be the have been the thing. They would have found something else to be mad about.
1: Okay, so that so that leads us to um, the strange incident that happened with um, Emily Vanderwolf, um, mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who is a writer for Vox, and she. And so Matthew Glacius, uh who is one of the co-founders of Vox, I think he's just like a. Editor there, senior editor or something. He, um he signed, he signed the document. And then she tweeted a screen cap of a, of a letter that she had sent to Vox Human Resources. She said she excised certain passages that only dealt with like internal stuff, so can't know what that is. And, uh, and it basically, she was saying that, uh, this made her feel Unsafe? Did she use the word unsafe? Or
0: she said it made her feel less safe. She started out the letter saying, "Like, Matt has never been anything but kind to me, and he has promoted my work. And yet, she was felt she was made to feel less safe. So she didn't say unsafe. Okay, less safe,
1: less safe. So that's interesting. Okay. So and and uh, this this woman is trans. Um, and so this was very strange to me. Uh, that you would do, that anyone would do this. What what did, yeah. what did you make of it?
0: Oh, I thought it was insane. Um, I thought that... Also, like, she got so much heat for this that it was also ill-advised. But to respond to a letter, to respond to a signature, a colleague's signature, on what was pretty a pretty milquetoast defense of free speech, I thought it was well-written, but this was not some, I don't know, um, some, like, fiery polemic. Um, By complaining to the manager is to me just illustrated the point of the letter as did. So, you know, there's a follow-up letter uh, with uh, I I don't know how many people signed it, but this other letter was written in response to the letter. And uh, there were, I only heard of like five people on the letter, but like Almost two dozen of them were anonymous uh, because apparently they feared retribution of their workplace, which to me is also hilarious and also indicative of the fact that there is clearly a problem with uh, the culture of speech. If you think that signing a letter for this is going to get you in trouble, which I honestly like I find it extremely hard to believe that anyone at the New York Times or NBC or anywhere would have gotten trouble at work for signing the second open letter.
1: Um, you know, I didn't read the entirety of the second open letter because it I thought long. it was so vapid, um, but yeah, and stupid, not maybe not vapid is the wrong word. I thought it was stupid. And as no, I stated, there different. was a, a, um, stylistic error in the first sentence that often annoys it,
0: me. It was and the lies, written. yeah, the lies started in the second paragraph, paragraph, which Layton Woodhouse pointed out on Twitter. I don't have the letter pulled up right now, but like literally there's like an introductory paragraph and the second paragraph just starts lying and then it just continues to lie throughout.
1: Okay, and so one so one paragraph is devoted to Jesse Single, one one to JB right. Rowling, but before we get to the second letter, still have the first yeah. the first, letter. first is there, letter. Has there been a third letter yet? I feel like there must have been.
0: I'm crafting it now. It's just <laughs> okay. a blank sheet of paper. It's just it's just a dog whistle. That's it.
1: <laughs> it's one of those things where like you trick someone into signing it, and then you like take the sheet away, and it's like yeah. actually they yeah. signed away their their life rights yeah. or something. Um. Yeah. So okay. So what? Okay. So so. But my my basic reaction to, okay, obviously there's something that's going on in the culture, um, that is bad that involves speech, social media, online, and like controversial subjects. Um, but what, like, but is the problem, like, lack of open debate? I mean, basically what I thought was, is the problem, uh, that that speech is being constricted or is the problem that there's too much speech? Too many people have (laughs) the ability to speak and the ability to weigh in in a way that they didn't 30 years ago. And, um, and this is uh not so we think usually like you know everyone should have a vote <laughs> obviously everyone should have their voice everyone has their own opi- the right to their own opinion um, but you know a lot of these opinions suck and uh there's no reason to that they should be shared it doesn't do anything good for the world it just uh either you know is bad for the world or uh you know Makes them feel good because they they express something. So there's all sorts, you know, there's all sorts of crazy stuff on the internet. Um, you know, QAnon, the uh, conspiracy theory that, uh, is constantly roiling and, and is, hasn't been justified in a single facet, but people believe it every time. You know, uh, fake news, whether from, whether it came from like, uh, Moldova or something or just, uh, uh, bored teenagers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sending people, uh, Gifts of, uh, their face being put into a, uh, oven, uh, with a, mm-hmm. you know, Nazi soldier outside. So there's all sorts of bad kinds of speech that have been enabled, um, by the internet. And, you know, it was, it, in some ways, so the internet has enabled, uh, some good things, you know, we're talking to each other over the internet from opposite sides of the country, uh, but also a number, number of bad things. And one bad thing is just, uh, tons of random people out there can annoy other people online with basically no consequences. And, uh, and then go about, go about their day. So, you know, like, in, like online pylons, maybe there's a couple people who are like in the media elite who participate or like set it off, but it's usually just normal people who like are joining into, you know, someone or saying die or I'm going to rape you or, or I want to stab you in the face. And, uh. Um, How often
0: do you see that on social media? Do you see, I want you to die. I want to rape you. I want to stab you in the face on Twitter. in particular? Well, I think
1: it happens less than it used to. Um, mm-hmm. it happened a lot. 2015, 2016. Um, mm-hmm. I had some kind of like run-ins, exact, not exactly, but like mixed it up with some alt-right people in, during that era. And, um, and so, that, so that's where the, you know, I first saw the like get into the oven Jew kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, interestingly, uh, you know, Twitter is such a poorly run website, but, uh, you know, when I, when I go like look back to find an old tweet that had a word in it or something, and then I find these ones where I was, I was talking to someone who was an alt-right type person, they're all gone. So their accounts have been suspended or, like, that official suspended thing, or just, like, it isn't there anymore. So they did do something where they took all these, like, anti-Semitic, uh, uh, pro-Trump, alt-right trolls, either they just left, or they banned them. And so Twitter is somewhat better than that. But then you, you, you so probably, so, okay, so most people are not really saying, I want to stab you in the face. But maybe they'll just be like, you know, this is a bad look, or they'll, like, uh, right. add on, like, the, do uh, better. some somewhat, like, their employer's at or something, if they're, if they're, like, in the media or something, or maybe even if not, or they'll, you know, just start like investigating, trying to figure out like who this person is in this video, that that, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, all these people think they're like pursuing the path of righteousness by tracking down you know, like some random person who was racist in a yeah. video or something, or was yelling about uh, about face masks or, or something like that. And then yeah. that person is found and get fired, or maybe they find someone who with a similar name or something, and that person's life is uh, you know ruined for twenty four hours. So it's so it's all a giant mess. And mm-hmm. if, like if. So I, I started to wonder whether, like, do we have a cancel culture problem or we just have, like, a Twitter culture problem? Like, the things that happen on Twitter used to just stay there. Now they bleed yeah. over into real life. And some of those behaviors, I guess, maybe continue on, like, uh, the New York Times Slack channel or, or something like that. Um, but is it, like, has there been, like, a change in consciousness? Or is it just that the technology has enabled people to behave in certain ways that is, uh, you know, bad for society as a whole? So what what, what do you think of that? Yeah.
0: I think both. I think, first of all, the ease at which people can join these um, pylons or maybe just, you know, shit out their criticism on the Internet, it's just gotten way easier, right? So if you wanted to 10 or 15 years ago, if you had a problem with, you know, what a columnist wrote or something, you might, like, write a letter to the editor. Well, you don't do that anymore. You tweet them. Um, So there is this, you know, you have this more direct, direct access to people, um, which I personally hate. I wish that people had less access to me at all times. I want like, like if you're going to say something mean about me, I want it at a postcard Uh, (laughs) sent to a P.O. box, preferably not my house. Uh Um, So I think that's part of it, just to ease it with, you know, it's. Partaking in some kind of pile on it, it takes no effort, it takes a second, and then you just move on with your life, whereas the target of it has can have sometimes career-ending consequences, right? So I think Uh that's part of it. I also think that we have entered a moment in which social justice, or what we call social justice... It's sort of a meme, right? It's trendy. Like, okay, we're about the same age. Um, You're from the Northeast, I'm from the Southeast, but when I was in high school, the dominant culture was conservative. The the sort of gatekeepers were just a lot more conservative, especially like post-9-11. The zeitgeist was much more patriotic, it was much more um... I don't know, it was more conservative. And that has really changed. And so the same people now, like, like I think about this a lot. I think if you go to like any, like most high schools in America right now, the cool kids are probably less likely to be like the, like dumb jocks who are not politically active or who uh, are, who are like voted for Donald Trump or would vote for Donald Trump or whatever. And they're more likely to be, you know, people who post memes about social justice. So I think that that's also a part of it. Is that social justice is incredibly trendy, and maybe that's a good thing, right? Because it's better to social justice. I mean, it depends on what that word actually means. But you know, we want like I'm a progressive. I want more progress. I want things to be more just. Maybe less social, but more just. <laughs> um, but what you have is this is this culture where a lot of the activism is totally performative. It's narcissistic. You post a meme and then you don't do anything about it, right? This isn't backed up by any sort of like real commitment to the ideology, or maybe it is backed up by some kind of commitment to the ideology, but I just think it's just incredibly trendy right now. While also at the same time, giving people the feeling that they are on the right side of history, right? Um, I think especially like post Trump election, there is a lot of terror about the ushering of the ushering in of authoritarianism under Trump. He has thankfully proved too comp incompetent to be an authoritarian I think
1: mm-hmm. I agree with that even
0: he might he might try i think I see the authoritarian creeping in from the bottom, which is in some ways scarier um because it's our peers, not you know the not you know not the state so I think part of it also like a genuine desire to be on what people see as the right side of history combined with social media and just the trend. Uh you know, it's it's cool to be a to be a, a, a like an activist or a social media just, justice activist, as, uh-huh. as I as I call it. Um yeah, so all of that I think has has led to where we are now. And I don't really know where it's gonna go. Mm-hmm. Now we're good.
1: Um so what you described about uh the high schools is actually kind of one of the plot points in um the twenty one jump street uh mm. remake. Did you did you see that? I haven't no. You should check it out because it's basically like yeah. okay, you got Jonah Hill and uh oh god what was the guy's name? The guy who was in Magic Mike. Um yeah. the dancer. Uh, yeah. you know, uh who, Jay, so,
0: what's his Channing name?
1: Tatum, um Yeah, yeah. Who, you know who's this like who looks like this big jock guy And, uh, and so they go undercover as high school students, uh, they're police officers, they go undercover as high school students, and they're thinking that the Jonah Hill character, this is when he was still more chubby, um, you know, he's gonna be the nerd, and Channing Channing will be, like, the jock, and then it turns out that, uh, you know, they, they they, like, take a fight, um, to sort of, like, uh, insinuate themselves into, uh, with the other students, (laughs) And the kids all, like, start going after Channing Tatum, being like, hey man, bullying's not cool. And I, and <laughs> yeah, there, I think yeah. there's even a line where, where the Channing Tatum character says, like, you know, like, bullying isn't cool anymore. I can't believe it. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, so yeah. I mean, I, but it is. But it is. But but bullying is cool. It's just <laughs> bullying different people. I, yeah, a
1: different, a, different, a different kind of bullying. Um, Okay, so, yeah, I don't... Okay, so where should we go with this? So I think, like, the... Okay, so so there was this... Okay, so massive reaction and then, and then a counter reaction. And as you said, this, the, so, I mean, the, the, the reply was often like, who are these, you know, entitled people, these privileged people, um, to, uh, sound off on of this? And I think Phoebe, uh, Mosbowski wrote a piece that is a pretty effective counter argument to that, which is basically like, you know, the, the people who are, who are in the, a lower position in any sort of hierarchy are, you know, they can't speak out. So right. uh, it, it takes the people who are more towards the top uh, to speak out on their behalf. Um, right. And then right. there, yeah, and there was just a lot of like, you know, check your privilege kind of thing. These people are all rich. Um, yeah, I,
0: that, that was my favorite line. These people are all rich. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and Phoebe yeah. on on Twitter was making some amusing um, jokes about that saying like, you know, I have to get my, like, well, I have a, one and a half year old toddler and she just threw up on the dog and I need to clean it up or something like that. Yeah. So like no one, no one is doing this for me. Um, but yeah, so those are, those were kind of the predicted moves. And then, okay, but then you, okay, so the counter letter, I, I didn't read the entire thing, but it, it did seem to be like it was more going after the people than going after the, uh, stated ideals. And right. one was, one was Jesse and we, we actually, I think the last time we talked, we, we talked about Jesse's article that was in the, um, the cover of the Atlantic uh about uh tr- uh you know like tra- like transitioning among teenagers if i if i recall and it was very, very, yeah, very gender controversial.
0: Youth dysphoria gender use dysphoria yeah and use you use gender dysphoria that actually is what it is
1: yes. um so uh, okay so yeah so what what did you what did you think of the of counter letter you know over letter number 2 the counter letter
0: i thought it was really funny i mean <laughs> i i don't think it made many coherent arguments um you know, the, the, there's a couple points that this sort of, I don't know what to call them, the anti-free speech brigade, they would never call themselves that, but there's a couple points they bring up over and over. One, freedom of speech does not mean freedom of consequences. I, I want to trademark that phrase and every time somebody tweets it, they have to give me money. <laughs> they have to ask my permission for it. It's okay. become such a platitude. Um, and the other is that, you know, what's happening now is just, this isn't about a. the Harper's letter was about sort of what we're seeing is this constricting of liberal values. Right. The Overton, the Overton window is narrowing to a point where mainstream accepted thought is now considered hate speech is now considered too problematic to publish or whatever. Um, and there are, are real consequences to this. You know, Megan McArdle uh, had a great thread yesterday about um, about cancel culture, which I, I highly recommend people look up. And she said that you know one of the problems with this is that there are sort of these acceptable narratives, and you can't if you're a scientist you can't research something that the conclude like that you where you don't already know the conclusion and the conclusion doesn't fit into this acceptable narrative. And the same things are happening in media and tech and business all over the place. And I think that's that's real. There's a stifling effect not just on on expression but on thought. I'm deeply concerned about that. Um, But so the other thing people say is you know this isn't this isn't cancel culture this is just minorities uh marginalized groups the oppressed all of a sudden have a platform and this is just you know you're just being criticized by people who have never had the access to to criticize you before Mm -hmm. I don't know that I have a response to that other than I just I don't think that's true. I don't think that the issue is that people are talking about Black Lives Matter or 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 uh, putting their perspective. Like, I think it's great that The New York Times wants to post columns about abolishing the cops or whatever. But I think if they're going to publish columns about abolishing the police, they also need to publish columns from the conservative perspective. So to me, the problem is not. That marginalized groups all of a sudden have this newfound ability to be heard. It's that the effect of that is shutting down—not the effect of that, but the the effect of the stifling of, of discourse is that it's shutting down everybody else. Not not and I don't. That makes it seem like I'm talking like marginalized groups versus everybody else. I'm not saying that anybody who has uh, an opinion that might be slightly out of the the current pers- or accepted progressive thought. Feel stifled, not everybody, but I get tons of emails every day from people who are in academia or tech or whatever sort of fields in media who just say like, I'm terrified of my colleagues, I'm terrified that I'm gonna be denounced, uh, denounced for wrong speak if I do things like say that I like your podcast, you know, I have had so many people say that they've had friendships in because they shared an article of mine on Facebook.
1: Oh boy. So yeah, so I'm, so yes. I, really I'm risk, I'm taking my life in my hands, uh, just yeah. by inviting you on yeah. to, onto my okay. show, so. I
0: hope you don't feel too unsafe.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm feeling okay right now. We'll see, we'll see. Check in, yeah. we'll check in, you know, in 48 hours or so. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, I've, I've, I actually, uh, you know, yeah, it, it does seem, there's like almost this, uh, Contagion kind of idea that yes. like, you know, someone, someone who is the wrong type of person like infects you and then you, I mean, we're, we're living through an, a literal contagion right now, but the, the metaphorical contagion of the bat, of the evil ideas. Um, the
0: real pandemic is counterculture. <laughs> I mean, it's cancel culture.
1: Um, so, okay. Well, I, I, I mean, something I did think is that getting back to this idea about like, is our problem, uh, constriction of speech or like too much speech, you know, there's, Really, so so everyone really agrees on some limits on speech. So sure. There, there's the classic um, shouting fire in a crowded theater that, you know, some jurists came up with like a 100 years ago. Um, there's one that I've thought of that I don't see anyone mention. is like, you know, uh, sh- should I be allowed to um, be on the sidewalk outside your house with a loudspeaker at 4 a.m. like, you know, reciting? the Pledge of Allegiance or something. Like, no, like you the people in the house would call the police and they would arrest me right. for some sort of like misdemeanor or something. So there's right. so the the unfettered yeah. free speech doesn't truly exist. No. Um even like someone yelling on the street corner might some authority figure might tell them they need to stop or something. Um right. and so it really is like a matter of like a matter of degrees. Like once we once we can see that there it's not just like you can say whatever you want and the state can't do it you know state can't do anything about it, where there's a couple of examples where the state does something and then the obvious things about, you know, you have to suffer the consequences of, of the thing you say, which you say has become a, a total cliche, but like it is, it's a cliche because it's true. Like if I say something, uh, you know, if I start, um, using, uh, racial slurs or something right now, uh, then, and this is posted online, then I might lose my job. And right. and that would have been the case, like, 30 years ago, probably, also, if, if...
0: depends on where you work, but, yeah.
1: Yeah, so if someone, you know, had, like, secretly kept recorded a white person uh, using the N-word uh, in 1990, and then it was leaked to the press, because it was a politician but, or something, they, they but, would have got in trouble.
0: Okay, except, okay, so, yes, if you're using the in, your N-word as a slur, if you're directing it towards somebody, but now we've had sort of the opposite thing, where any sort of, like, saying, saying the N-word as a quote, reciting a, you know... This is what this person said. Here's the name of a play. There are plays that have the N-word in it using the soft n word, which I mean, the soft n word was not actually problematic until very recently. Even printing the word the the hard the hard r n word was not problematic until very recently, which I know because I searched for it in the archives of the New York Times mm-hmm. recently, and it is still actually being printed in the New York Times. It was printed in the New York Times a couple of couple of weeks ago. Probably so quotes, that, right? It was the name of a play, yeah. But okay. in other contexts, you're not allowed to say it. Like, a woman just got fired from the CBC for saying it. She mm-hmm. wasn't saying it directed at anybody. She was saying it uh, in the... Co- she was quoting somebody or something like that. Right. Yeah, I, I
1: so, mean, the, the, the N-word is this weird thing that is so, like, historically fraught that actually, long ago, like, 10 or so years ago, we had we had someone on with... I think McWhorter was was the counterpart on Blogging Heads. He had written a book that is called The Word, uh, mm-hmm. like, The History of a Troublesome Phrase or Word or something. And and so like I was the one you know typing this into WordPress or whatever. So I was I was typing it out, not something I usually do. But also like you know the, the generally the New York Times doesn't print the word fuck. Um, there was this play right. called the, the Motherfucker in the Hat or something or the Motherfucker with the Hat that was I think Chris Rock was in it was about eight or so years ago and they would just print it as like dash 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 with a hat uh, when mm-hmm. you know in, in reviews over and over again. So there's this lo- you know different levels of decorum in different things where mm-hmm. you know. Basically, on a podcast, saying "motherfucker," no one here's this. Make right. this point in twenty twenty. We have worse things, but yeah, the N word is, is held off in this weird, weird, different space, and I'm totally fine with that. Um,
0: I saw I saw an article recently that um, it was about a, a nurse who got fired from her job at the University of Louisiana um, for using racial slurs online, and uh, they obscured the word monkey. She Obama a monkey, uh-huh. and they obscured the word monkey, so it was like M dash 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 Y. So you also had to sort of figure it out. Yeah, I
1: yeah. don't know what I would have. I don't, I don't think I would have jumped a monkey in that in that case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the the you know words the like you know uh, Carlin's uh, se- seven W yeah, words seven whatever you words. say. Like some yeah. of these, like one of them was tits. Like uh, like people say right. tits all the time now. So so these things change right. and. Um, and and Mores Evolve, and yeah, so now there's like the F slur, uh which you see people both like joking about well, online and maybe being serious yeah. about online and
0: I mean uh someone uh what's his name? Ben Howe or Ben Howie, I think it's Ben Howe just got fired today from the Lincoln project for he like called people a twat on social media and he was fired for that. Like years ago called them a twat.
1: Right. Okay, so they're digging through they're digging through the old uh, archives. Okay, so that's yeah, that's funny. Because the Lincoln Project, or whatever it's called, is this group of, like, anti-Trump Republicans who are, like, using mm. the, um, the dark arts they've learned attacking Democrats for many years to create, like, these commercials that seem to be more, you know, are, are much sharper right. than the standard kind of commercials right. Democrats would make with they're against Trump and other Republicans, um, but I don't know, I'm not exactly shedding a tear for that particular guy, but, but yes, right. okay, but, but again, it's kind of, it, it does all get back to, like, so, if, okay, so this guy who tweeted, he tweeted twat at someone. In 2012 or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, he probably wouldn't have like in an inter-office memo have put the word twat or even like right. an email or a fax or something. Like it's the fact that this weird, there's this weird, uh,
0: yeah, if you were a guy in college, there
1: called Twitter in which it's very easy to call someone a twat. And I'll, I'll say this here that, um, I started saying, okay, so at some point in the past three or four months, Ted Cruz tweeted something and I tweeted, it, or I tweeted at him something like, Shut the fuck up, motherfucker. And I was immediately put in a 12-hour timeout by Twitter. It was like... For for saying that to Ted Cruz? Yes. Which should be that, my right as an American. To yes! Tell,
0: that should be your... You should be able to tell anybody in elected office to shut the fuck up, motherfucker.
1: So, but it was like... It was literally instantaneous after I hit send. So wow. clearly they had programmed it that so many people were telling Ted Cruz to shut the fuck up. Um, so then I started, as a joke... Uh, instead of saying, if I see some, some asshole conservative on Twitter, instead of saying, shut the fuck up, I say, uh, eat a turd, dingus. Um, <laughs> in part because I think dingus is a funny word that should be brought back yeah. as an insult. So You know, that's
0: also, like, a much worse, like, eat a turd is way, way more graphic than shut the fuck up.
1: Right. Um, but, you know, turd is, is, is you know, I, I think the New York Times would print the word turd, and I'm sure they would print the word dingus. Uh, but then someone, some guy who is, like, a sociologist, like, a, an actual professor, like, found one of my replies in which I said eat a turd dingus to someone on Twitter and started like going off about it and tagged the uh, blogging heads um, Twitter uh, Twitter account as like did a you way run to, that? as a way to get me in trouble. I also I run that account so <laughs> I didn't get in trouble that time but um and then and then I ended up like I was like I well, hope what? you
0: responded from the blogging heads Twitter account to I him got, and I said eat it, a turd dingus. I kept it
1: professional but I think I I was like what should I do about this? I was like you know I'll probably just ignore it but then I think he followed up or something. And then I did tweet at him, eat a turdingus and, and blocked him. But then like, you know, whenever you block someone, it gives them some content. So then he was like, why, why did this guy block me? Like, you know, and then other people were kind of like looking through my old tweets to see all the other people I said, eat a to because I do it semi-regularly at least. So that was, that was the closest I've ever come to some sort of like quasi cancellation. It didn't work. But, um, but even say, you know, even say this guy was trying to get me in trouble. Um, and strangely straightly he followed me, um, on Twitter beforehand. That's how we found the tweet. I know uh, we, we never drafted, So I don't know exactly what his motivations were. And then, um, uh, so I'm, I'm fine. I survived the eat Dingus cancellation attempt. And I continue to say eat Turd Dingus, which I think is a good thing to say that won't get you in trouble on Twitter, but still maybe indicates go fuck yourself <laughs> to someone. Right. So this, so this is that kind of thing. It's just like the la- the language he used, the guy, the guy said twat, which is like somewhere between, I don't even know a dirty word and a, yeah, curse, kind of, but, like, probably yeah. if you said it in middle school, maybe you'll get one day of detention or something. Um But, like, yeah, usually a, a adults are not t- saying twat to each other, like, unless they're cutting each other off in traffic or something, and it's just, it is weird that this guy is an adult. And it's just, like, this this platform encourages juvenile behavior is as as, as part of the problem. You know, I, I wasn't calling people dingus uh, before i was on twitter i don't think so i don't know where i'm yeah. going with this but it is i, I think i i continue to think that, like a lot of the problem just is a strange website that was meant to send like text messages to other people yeah. um yeah. you know without incurring data charges yeah. or whatever or, or texting charges and then somehow took over uh media and politics and you know the, and the president uses it multiple times a day so that's strange right. um Okay. Do you think if if social media? I actually asked a similar question in an episode that'll probably air after this that I take with Lee Stein, who you did a mm. um, you did a, an, an online event with recently. But do you think if like so, you know God snapped his or her fingers and social media disappeared, all of it, uh, like the internet infrastructure was still there, but Facebook, Twitter, Instagram was all gone, what would happen to all these problems? Would they just reform in some other way, or 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 would it be better?
0: That's a really good question. Um, I think that these problems would probably go away, but other problems would arise. You know, there are things that are good about social media. Um, it's been good for Black Lives Matter, for for the growth of movements. It's been the, gr- the good for the growth of my career, personally. <laughs> um but i think that cancel culture yeah i think that or what we call cancel culture right now and this is not a new phenomenon what's new about it is social media and the ease at which and the consequences the ease at which you can ruin someone's career with a click um, if people can do that i think i think that would go away if they didn't have anywhere to share their videos of the racist incident or the or the you know the 15-year-old tweet that a 12-year-old made I think it would go away, um, but there would be some downsides to that too. On the whole, I think probably the world would be a better place. But I mean, I, you know, what would Donald Trump do with his time? He might focus on policy, and I don't know if that would be good or bad.
1: Uh, yeah, he might spend more time with his family. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is. And then you when you think like, what would have like this? Is, you know, should Twitter ban Trump has been a running issue um, yeah, for, for years, is. and then but if they just. If they banned him, like, you know, he has, like, he could use a website, like, he, like, he could post right. the same exact messages that he could system. start a
0: vlog, or yes, a podcast. So
1: start, yeah, maybe a podcast, and then, you know, depending on how the election comes out, maybe he will start a blog and a podcast, or a TV show, <laughs> or, a TV show or a TV network. Um, he's, he's much more a media figure than a political figure, really. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think, like, if he, yeah, it, it just it's just strange that he, You know, if if he posted, if instead of using Twitter, he had used Facebook, like it just would have been different because the media elite spend their time on Twitter and so they see messages and they see the interactions and they see how popular or unpopular any relative message is. And, um, and so I guess uh, Trump was either canny or just lucky that this is, Mm -hmm. you know, he used, he got into Twitter very early instead of getting into Instagram (laughs) or Facebook or Um, Snapchat. Yeah. Right. Um, Okay, well, let me see if I have anything else that I wanted to ask. Um, oh, well, I, I, guess, I guess, let me just read this by you. So I, I tweeted a couple days ago that, like, you know, there's the people who think Cancel culture doesn't even exist, but the, the, the term seems not well-suited to whatever reality we're experiencing because it seems mm-hmm. like there's, di- there's kind of different parts to it. Um, right. So, so there's, like, there's the viral videos and then people, you know, attacking someone who get ca- gets caught in a viral video there's the work workplace aspect and then people being, you know, all the, the millennials are in charge of the workplace now and, it, and everything is too woke and you can't say anything bad or whatever. And then there's just the, you know, the online like censoriousness and sort of like the moralizing that, uh, Twitter encourages like strong, like if you tweet something, that's like a strong moral statement, it's more likely to get likes and retweets than something that's like, you know, uh, like bland and, and somewhere in the middle. That's, that's how the, the, that's what the system rewards. Um, and you know so what are the, like what are the things we could possibly change and what are what are the parts that are just yeah you know this is our world now so so everyone's going to have a camera a video camera in their pockets yeah seemingly forever going forward uh so you could anytime there's some person who's an asshole or having a bad day or whatever um someone could capture it uh but sort of the like censoriousness and the like this is a bad look and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff seems like it is more cultural and maybe that could change with the times or something, or if there's some technological change that could shift? Yeah. Do, you have, do you have any thoughts on this?
0: I do think that there, you know... Twitter's not gonna do this because Twitter has no incentive for this because I think ultimately this is good for their platform. All of this, all of this is good for their platform. As bad as it is for the, for the world, I think it's good for Twitter. Um, but I think there's some technological fixes. Like, they could take away the ability to retweet. They could take abil- away the ability to quote tweet. That would mean that tweets wouldn't go viral. But you would have to engage in conversation with someone directly instead of just purely dunk on them. And, and also, like, when you quote tweet someone, you know it takes the conversation out of their sort of zone out of their home court and puts it into your home court where all of a sudden the uh the it's like a changing teams all of a sudden all of a sudden you're you're on you're in hostile territory mm-hmm. um you know and i do the same thing like it's a lot easier to quote tweet someone and where i know like my followers my army of of reply guys and gals and assorted non-binary identities um will probably agree with me and going to someone directly and saying, like, uh, I think you're full of shit and here's why. I mean, obviously lots of people do that. Um, but, you know, just uh, like as a human being, if you engage with someone directly in conversation, I think you're less likely to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Twitter's going to do that, but they could.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's Twitter put out something in the past year or so that was like, Twitter is the place for conversations or something like that. And it's almost like they don't like. Is anyone at Twitter HQ actually use Twitter? Like it is not. <laughs> yeah. It's not for conversations. It's, it's for like rah rah. My side is good. Your side is bad. Yeah, dunking. You know. Yeah.
0: Maybe so, they're all just on a different, maybe, like, we're in our echo chamber in our like, in media Twitter, Twitter is one thing, and then tech Twitter is very friendly, no I, exciting, I, I, just conversation. <laughs> well, I kind of get
1: it. I mean, if you, yeah. do you ever, I often am bored and I will just click on a trending topic and kind of see what, like, mm. somewhat normal people are, how they use Twitter, and it, it's a lot of ridiculous shit. It's usually, like, yeah. uh, you know, someone on a Real Housewives show did something, or, like, you know, an actor broke up with so on and so forth, or mm-hmm. some sports thing happened and people are they're, they're using the same sort of exaggeration of emotion yeah. and, yeah. you know, like oh, like run me over with a car, or, you know, I I'm dying a thousand times. Like it's because that's within every little mini world on Twitter, it's like the same rules of exaggeration and well, emotion and outrageousness get you. You know, I get think that's attention. true
0: of just online subcultures. Like th- last year I wrote a story about um, my I think it's called My Favorite Murder, which is a podcast, oh, yeah, yeah. a super, super popular, like true crime podcast. And when I started working on this piece, everybody I talked to was like, this is the most positive online community. There's no drama. By the time I finished working on this piece, the the women who make the show had made the mistake of putting a picture of a teepee in one of their, their like, swag, like a shirt or whatever. And that was problematic. Just the picture of a teepee. Uh-huh. Um, because cultural appropriation or what the fuck ever. Uh-huh. So by the time I finished reporting the piece, the whole thing had dissolved. Right? I mean, they still have their fandom, but like they had this, they had like Facebook groups with hundreds of thousands of followers and they'd shut them all down because, because this over the course of weeks, like there had just been something and you, you know, you can look at it with any subculture, any sort of fandom. And I think a lot of this is very reminiscent of fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, Knitting Twitter, knitting Instagram, they have their crazy, crazy their bullshit. Dramas, yeah. And oftentimes this sort of, the uh, catalyst is some sort of social justice issue.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, I maybe I've, I've either said this on the show before or maybe just tweeted it that like, yeah, all, maybe all online communities like tend towards toxicity over time because there's so, some sort of psychological, um, dynamic that develops or like there, there's people who you know, they they all have some uniting interest or something in knitting, or you know, the Supergirl or Superwoman <laughs> TV show on the CW or something. And then the people who are more on the extremes or whatever way, um, start pulling everyone like towards them. And then there's like a backlash, and people are are going right. after each other, and um, and and all the other, uh, you know, the fact that people don't see their real faces and et cetera, et cetera, all these other things make it more likely that people are. You know, acting right. like total jerks to each other, um, right. no matter no matter what the, what the topic is. So yeah, it may right. be. Um, yeah, it does it does seem to be somewhat intrinsic to uh, online communities, um, at least I ones mean, that are maybe, heterogeneous.
0: I mean, or, maybe sorry, it's homogenous. yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's maybe it's not even just online. Maybe this is just sort of the nature of, of communities. Um you know, yeah, specifically ones that tend to be homogenous. um
1: right but I mean but like being in a room with someone is very different than being on a message board with them totally. and you see them And totally. now we're in this weird place where you can't even yeah, if you have a local knitting club, you can't all get together um at the library on Sunday afternoons because right. of the pandemic so so even more of life has shifted over mm-hmm. into the digital realm where the uh the like signals that People used to, like, accept each other's humanity are no yeah. longer, are no longer in effect. Um
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh,
1: but except for here on Blogging Heads where we're, uh, we get, we're looking at each other's faces and, um, are treating each other as full and equal human citizens.
0: As res- respectfully as humanly possible.
1: Yes. Okay, I think we've got a bit over an hour. Um is there anything else you, you wanna say, uh, before we wrap up?
0: Eat a turd, dingus.
1: <laughs> maybe that should be the, t- maybe that should be the title of the episode. Although that, yeah. uh, that could probably put off some potential your you semester. might have yeah.
0: You might have some uh, some SEO problems with that, <laughs> right? You get um, shadow banned.
1: <laughs> so okay, so so thank you, Katie, for coming on. Yeah. I hope I hope I'm not canceled via association <laughs> with you. Um, and 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 thanks for uh, sharing your opinion. And uh, and so, uh, blocked and reported uh, on, on you know iTunes or just, or what a podcast app or whatever. You yeah, can whatever. Find everywhere. There's also Patreon uh, for bonus episodes and stuff like that. Um, and Yeah, anything else you wanna, you wanna plug before we wrap up?
0: No, this is all I'm doing now. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter if you want. Look me up, I'm easy to find. This is all I'm doing now.
1: You've one of the great Twitter handles.
0: Oh, Kitty Perzog? Yeah, Kitty Perzog. Thank you. Um yeah, I have nothing to plug because I'm not doing anything anymore. I'm basically semi retired. Um which I have to say I recommend it. I went to like I went to uh to like play disc golf with my dog today. I'm gonna go pick some blackberries in the backyard later. Wow. Um I basically nice. work like one and a half days a week.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's I mean that's great. Congratulations. And least, Thank so you. like you said, your your podcast is, is is going gangbusters and you've had a lot of um subscribers who are who are eager to um, support the work that you and Jesse are doing, uh, which yeah. is which I think is a good thing, even if you are, you know, uh, canceled at some point. Or uh, I, re- I'll, I will fully sure. I guess you've been can- you've been canceled multiple times before. Um, you can only
0: be canceled so many times, and then you get the antibodies, and then you can't be canceled. Yeah, anymore. there is
1: kind of an immunity that one. You know, if if you just don't give in to the mob or something, yeah, it's kind of like you, you do like. I don't know, they, they focus on someone else or something to, to well, go it, after.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does depend on on who you are, on what your position is. I think things are different if you're, you know, you work at the local Walmart and a video gets released of you doing something bad or whatever mm-hmm. um, than if you are, you know, somebody with a lot of Twitter followers. Um, but, yeah, we're in a good position. Um, it's good to talk to you.
1: Uh, good to talk to you, too. Uh, thank you to all of our viewers and listeners, and we'll see you next time.